Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Journey of Hope. Glad you could be with us today. The Journey of Hope is a podcast that's especially designed to address the issues that men and women face after incarceration. Lisa Cohn is my guest today. Her story is about overcoming issues that she's left unaddressed, and a lot of us deal with that. But the story to get there involves judges, sex, drugs, rock and roll, and the Moonies. How could you possibly want to miss this? We'll be right back with Lisa right after this. I'm Rodney Mathers, and you're on the Journey of Hope. Hey there, got a suggestion for a show topic? You know, a guest that would be good on the journey of hope, or you just want to tell me how things are going for you? Drop me a line. Mathers Rodney at yahoo.com, M A T H E R S R O D N E Y at yahoo.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome back. My guest today is Lisa Cohn. Um, Lisa is a graduate of Cornell, and I think she completed graduate school at Columbia. Is that right? That is correct. Good. Lisa grew up in a wild situation, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, On the weekends, she lived with her mother, who was a Mooney. And now you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I think Mooney's followed sung young moon and there was a book divine principle um and so i think it would be fair to say that it was a cult and we contrast this with her father who she lived with during the week who was like this 70s hippie type guy (laughs) drug sex and rock and roll so um and some of us may not think that's such a bad lifestyle. I don't know. We're going to find out. <laughs> Lisa, welcome to The Journey of Hope. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Ron. Lisa's thank book you. is called um, To the Moon and Back, A Childhood Under the Influence. And first of all, you preferred living with your mom, who was the Mooney, right? Let's let's talk about why. Yeah, so... Um Long story short, the way I describe it, by the time my mom joined the church, which was when I was 10, my parents had been split for about seven years, and they both were living these crazy, crazy, chaotic, hippie lifestyles. And so the Unification Church, which I do refer to as a cult, Mm -hmm. uh, was a haven in many ways for my brother and I. It was structure. It was more safety. It was like like a safer, happier place to be. And... There was so much, quote-unquote, love for my brothers and sisters, all the members. And Reverend Moon, I believed him to be my messiah, the messiah. So, whereas I never went, we lived with my mom, and then she moved out into the church, and I never lived with her again in my life. 
um, and we did end up living with my dad, my heart, my soul, my every being was about being a movie Mooney and saving the world, saving mankind for God. So that's yeah. So that's why that's the only place I would ever want to be. And my dad was, excuse me, quote unquote, Satan, satanic lifestyle. And I was terrified of him before the church, just of his lifestyle. And I was terrified of it afterwards. So, yeah, I never wanted to be there where I was. Well, you're you're. <sighs> Okay, so the Moonies, that's kind of, I mean, I don't really know, so you're going to have to help us uh, to educate Mm -hmm. us, educate me anyway. That's kind of a puritanical kind of life, right? It's it's just very much opposite of the way your father was living his life, right? Yeah, so the Moonies, uh, you were right, is Reverend Sun and Moon, and his teachings were called the Divine Principle. And it was a combination of uh, Christianity, Judeo-Christianity, and Eastern philosophy kind of wrapped into this new breed it was the completed supposedly the old testament the new testament reverend brought the completed testament Mm -hmm. to the world and it was based it was just completely puritanical i mean in the in the invitation church in the church we were taught that the fall of man the original sin was premarital sex was lucifer seducing eve and eve seducing adam and so it was truly a chaste pure no sex, no, you know, no sex outside of marriage, no drugs, no alcohol. I mean, it may have been there, but it wasn't supposed to be there. All of that very clean cut lifestyle, which mm-hmm. was the complete opposite of what I went home to every Sunday mm-hmm. night. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, we can just imagine, we talk about this sort of thing a lot on this show about how um, our childhoods influence our behaviors yeah. as young adults. And, and a lot of times it gets us into trouble. And um, so addressing those issues are important. And that's why that's why we invited you on today. We want to find out (laughs) how you overcame that. I mean, you are successful. Your curriculum, your curriculum uh, vitae is impressive. And um, I think I read that you're happily married with children. And but at the same time, you must have had some demons to fight when you were growing up, just to say the least. Um, tell us about what your daily life was like with your dad. How was, how was things, how were things with your dad? When I was a kid, how was things with my dad? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just, uh, well, okay. So we, we would wake up. I moved in with him in seventh grade and we would wake up well before he did because he was a bartender and he was out late at night working and then partying and we wake up we make our own breakfast make our own lunch head off to school you know normal 1970s new york city public school system Mm -hmm. interesting experience Mm -hmm. and uh and come back and the nights that he was home you know he would make us dinner and the nights that he was out bartending we would make our own dinner and we just it was just you know but it was just the people who came in and out of our life and the cocaine laid the, the way i describe my childhood and this was at a later point right mm-hmm. so i say the best seats i ever had at madison square garden were at my mother's wedding because my mom did get married in madison square garden in 1982 with 2075 other couples wow and on the other hand the best cocaine i ever had was from my father's friend the judge because after i <laughs> left the church i did start doing cocaine with my dad blow with my dad mm-hmm. and he had a yes friend was literally a judge of a small town in new york in new jersey who had the most amazing loads of cocaine right and so even so when i was in the church life with my dad was pot and cocaine Mm -hmm. and inappropriate behavior and my dad used to quote unquote jokingly offer to sell me to his friends for drugs and 
you know, that was just, that was his, that, that was free love and free lifestyle of the seventies. Wow. So, and we lived in your city's East village when it wasn't cool, when it was just CD. So it was just a <laughs> alternative, right, way. right. Mind, mildly dysfunctional way. Yeah. 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 And, and at some point, I believe I read that you lived with your grandparents that kind of like icing on the cake was your grandfather a judge did i read that right yeah so tell, tell us about was, that yeah before i ended up with my dad so my parents get married well before they should because they have to they have my brother they have me they split we live with my mom and then we were going to my mom bought a van from my dad and we were going to drive cross country to california to live on a commune um, but instead my grandmother got sick my mom's mom got diagnosed with cancer so we moved in with my grandparents in new jersey and then my grandmother passed and we stayed with my grandfather um with my mom taking care and of the house and of him and that's when my mom was introduced to the church uh, a friend had her go hear everman speak and very mm-hmm. soon she was in a car carrying member and then we were in as car carrying members and then about six months after joining, my mom sat us down. We lived outside of New York City, and she goes, I just feel like I need to do more. What should I do? And we said, you should leave, go, move into the church, and leave us. So she did, and we were living with my grandfather, who he was a judge and a lawyer. And when my grandmother died, he got depressed and stopped practicing his cases. And then when my mom left us, he got more depressed and really stopped practicing his cases. And then he got disbarred. And then the, the police were doing a circle around the block, kind of on a suicide watch, watching out for him. And he was supposed to go to court and maybe to jail. So his doctor put him in the psychiatric ward of the hospital uh, instead. And, and while we were living with my grandfather, like I'm in sixth grade and I'm an A plus 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 student, and I'm starting the school play, and I'm cooking, and I'm cleaning, and I'm shopping, and I'm running the house, and I'm doing the laundry, and I'm doing everything because wow. I was, it was for God, and I would do that. Um, but so then my dad, my grandfather's put in the psychiatric ward, and somebody finally tells Danny, my dad is Danny, what's going on? because we knew not to tell anybody where my mom left and then he came and got us and we ended up moving in with him so it was a whole big crazy a, scenario and i mm-hmm. oh, i just want to go back to when you said um i forget exactly what you said like sure. the path to getting there right i just want like i want to say like i i left the church and we can talk about that like and then i started doing a lot of drugs and stuff with my dad and rebelling in every single way and I get engaged to someone who drinks a heck of a lot and is really mean to me when he drinks and someone points me to al-anon at the age of 24 and I crawl mm-hmm. into the rooms saying, tell me if he's an alcoholic, there's no way I would ever be with an alcoholic. Cause I'm so fine. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then I tell my I story, it. people's jaws drop, but like, you don't know what you don't know. And I was so mm-hmm. highly functional as a very, very broken person that it took me first. I had to, I had to hit a bottom of finally saying, wow, I am not okay inside to ever begin to mm-hmm. get better. But I just wanted to call that out. Cause you mentioned, yeah. I'm like, I, I thought I was great. <laughs> well, I wow, wanted to, I, I did want to touch on that. I was going to ask yeah. you, um, you know, there had to be a point where you decided that how you were was not, as you were just saying, was probably not optimal. And you wanted to get beyond that, the, the, the dichotomy that had been uh, modeled for you through your parents was something that you saw, I, I guess, at some point as dysfunctional and that it had influenced you. So you can't, was it through Al-Anon that you came to the realization that, hey, this isn't right and I need to make some changes? Is that where you found that? Yeah. So I would just take a, a step back to say, so yes. And so when I, so I'm in the church and I'm living with my dad and I'm a car car member and I absolutely believe more than anything. Um, and I also happen to be best friends with Moon's children. So in the summer between my really? junior and senior year, yeah, yeah, 
junior and senior year of high school, my father, Danny, sends me to music camp. I'm convinced to keep me away from the church because I was always with the church any other time. Mm-hmm. And I go to music camp and I meet people for the first time to knowingly to me are gay and or bisexual. And it's mm-hmm. a huge sin in my church. And I write my mom and I say, what should I do? And she says, they're evil. Stay away or convert them. And for the first time, it doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. I don't agree. And you have to understand when you're raised in an, an uh, extreme situation and a cult like this, we were taught never to question. And if we ever questioned, it was Satan trying to win us back from God. So as mm-hmm. soon as you start to think for yourself, you stop because you're terrified because you're going to sin. Mm-hmm. So I start to question. And then I come back from music camp and I was best friends with Moon's children. But there's a whole soap opera. And one of my other very good friends was seduced by a Sunday school teacher. And she started spreading rumors about me to attention off of her and moon hears them believes them and makes a decree that i cannot be with his children anymore so kind of i like to say my messiah banishes me and that's when i started to slowly pull away and it's a very long hard process but to pull away and i pulled away to go back and make a complete commitment of my life to the church Mm -hmm. but instead i just slowly slowly pull away and then the guilt and the shame and the horror at leaving the messiah and abandoning my responsibility pushes me into anorexia well i almost jump off a bridge anorexia a lot of cocaine and then really 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 destructive relationships which Mm -hmm. finally again puts me in al-anon because i am engaged to someone who is just not nice and i'm unfunctional dysfunctional and um my cousin says, go to Al-Anon. And I do. I call into Al-Anon thinking, I'm fine. Like, I can tell you stories that will make you laugh, but mm-hmm. I'm just like, all these poor people with no self-esteem. And mm-hmm. as my brother says, if you sit in a room of like a hundred and something people, right, because we're in New York City, and you tell your story, you tell your story, and people's jaws drop, and these are people who have these horrific stories, you go, oh, Maybe, maybe, maybe it right. wasn't okay. Yeah. So I went from thinking I was totally fine to thinking I was completely destroyed and damaged beyond belief, right? Because I was nothing. First, I ignored my story. When I left the church, I had to ignore all of it in order to function, because mm-hmm. otherwise I needed to die for abandoning my responsibility. And then, so if I went from completely ignoring my story to completely being only my story. And the abuse, and the trauma, and the pain, and the all of that, which is all true, to over the many decades saying, it's just my story, I, I'm i not damaged, I have damage, is a very different thing. Mm-hmm. But it's been a long, long process of reprogramming and reworking my brain. And mm-hmm. yes, Al-Anon was the first place where I went, oh, maybe, maybe I'm not okay. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Right. How, really how old were you? Inside. How old were you at that I point? I was 24, 24 okay. years old, luckily. Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> this is a wild story. That was story. a long, long answer. No, this, there, is, yeah. this, is a, this is a pretty interesting story. And, and <laughs> I'll tell you what I want to do before, you know, I, I want to spend some time on talking about you came to this realization. Let's talk yeah. now about how you got past it. One of the, um, or if you ever did, really, and and one of the things that that I didn't hear you mention, which I know was present, was the sadness of letting go of something that you loved so much, and I'm sure that plays into it as well. Does it? Does it? It seems like it would to me. Sadness of leaving the church. Of leaving the church and yeah, and, and yeah. even the lifestyle, you know, of having Absolutely. to let go. But Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It was it was everyone and everything I knew and believed and loved 
you know, it was, it was the, the weird thing about my life is as crazily dysfunctional as both sides are, right? This is the duality of life. One, they each saved me probably from the other. And two, there is, there's still good. Please don't, I will never say that a cult is a good place and you should mm -hmm. never be like, no, absolutely. But I still got some good out of each experience. And so leaving the church was, was horrifically painful. Like it's, it's still, a, it's like, the good thing about my book is I've reconnected with many, many people whom I never thought I would ever speak to again. It was like these eight, 10, whatever, 11 years of my life gone right so yeah. it, it was yeah it was, it, I, it, i've heard a lot of authors tell days. me that writing yeah. about that sort of thing lisa is very cathartic and um I, I imagine it was in your case too okay let's talk about all right so you come to this realization yeah. what did you do specifically to begin to move forward that's where we want to tap your brain today right the realization i'm sitting in the Al-Anon meeting going maybe i'm not okay, mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> what did i do i um wow it's been a journey it's been literally decades because that's 1980 i hate to say it just right seven um and it was a lot of 12-step for a long time a lot of 12-step meetings and support groups and other people like when you first when well, my experience, so I'll say you, my experience, when you first walk in and you realize what's inside you and the story and all of that and what it actually is, but then you have a community. And I, I found the same thing recently when I found a community of cult survivors, a community who understands you and kind of supports you and goes, yeah, yeah, it's awful, but it's normal. Keep going kind of thing. And then, so I worked my program. I've done a lot of therapy. I've done a lot of trauma therapy. I'm a I'm certified in the in positive psychology. I do a lot of work myself, and I, I'm also a leadership coach with my clients around gratitude, around training our brain to, uh, you know, we, I like to say we've evolved. I don't say people say we be, we've evolved to be Velcro for the bad and Teflon for the good and how to train our brain to be different. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I do a lot of deep parts work and owning. I, I just... I've learned to have self-compassion, even more important. Like I have a lot mm -hmm. of compassion for mm -hmm. others. I have a truth about me is that I just, I love, I love. Was, love. was that something love. that uh, Lisa, was that something that was missing the, the like self-esteem and, and the yes. empathy towards other people? For was, myself. Right. No, I've always had empathy for others. Like, and I've always, I still to this day am more programmed to not have needs, not have, well, I mean, so my mom said, what should I do? And we said, you should leave. And for years, we knew that if we ever missed her, we were sinful, right? So I learned not to have needs and not to have wants and not to take care of myself. But I always took care of everybody else. I can I can read your needs before you even know you have them and meet them so that you just feel good. It's one of these like spidey senses things I have. Mm -hmm. It was learning to have compassion for myself and love for myself for and yourself. patience with myself. And I mean, I think that as a species, we are almost all too hard on ourselves and we all need a huge dose of self-love and self-compassion and i say this with my hand on my heart because i often walk around all day long with my hand on my heart because it feels so good <laughs> right but i think we need a lot of hugs and love and understanding from ourselves because mm -hmm. one you we want them from other people but we may or may never get them whatever right and two we're just we're much nicer to other people than we'd ever be to ourselves in general so that's mm -hmm. my biggest practice is self-compassion and self 
self-care and self-love. Okay. Well, you have a handful of people that are going to listen to this. Um, <laughs> and But they're, gonna, they're very curious about... They're, they're going through people that do listen to this show. They're, they're um, struggling with uh, uh, issues in their life, and yeah. um, they're looking for some help. So what, as someone who kind of was able to get through some really unique uh, circumstances as a child, what would be your message to those people today that are trying to deal with that kind of trauma and to get past it? So, and I have to tell you, as a, I, I am a trauma survivor, but one of the ways my brain is carved is to say, if it wasn't that bad, so many people had it worse. And it's true, right? So I, I will never compare my level of trauma with some things that other people have endured. Um, but, but, but these are, I have three messages around that. The first okay. is, you know, because I get contacted by strangers, luckily, like, because I'm sharing this message. Uh-huh. And I, people contact me with, like, this kid, like, young adults or teens or in really traumatic situations. And one thing I do know is that those of us who've experienced trauma, right, who've hit a bottom, have more appreciation for the simple, basic, easy life for life as it is, and more joy and ability to have gratitude for simple things, which I think is a gift. I'm not saying everyone should have trauma, but I just think that's what I like. I will be like, oh, my God, it's sunny and the trees are beautiful and everybody else is worrying about what's not right. Right. And so Mm -hmm. that's a gift. For me, I've seen from trauma. And then the other two messages are for anyone who feels hopeless or damaged beyond repair, there is hope and you are not damaged. It was really only after the book came out again that I thought, I realized I still thought I was damaged. I have damage. There's a very big difference, right? I'm not ah, broken. Interesting. Right. And so, yeah. how do I see myself not as broken, but just as some of those scars because stuff happened? That really shouldn't have happened to mm-hmm. me and around me. Mm-hmm. And then the other message is, again, right, I do really believe as a species we're way so hard on ourselves and self-critical and self-judging. And we just need a huge dose of self-love and self-compassion, right? And, yes, mm-hmm. it's great to find a community where you can get it from others as well and give it to others. But give it to yourself because because you just deserve it because you're human. Right. And maybe you didn't get it, but you can have it now. You can have it now from yourself. Maybe not what you want it, but it, I mean, I literally, again, I have my hand on my heart at Tara Brock, who's a meditation teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, I just walk around with my hand on my heart because it soothes my heart because there's a lot of still pain and trauma. I have a wonderful life and every now and then it raises its head and it's engulfing the pain, but it's okay, right? I can hold mm-hmm. my hand and say, wow, it was hard and you're okay and I'm, I'm here for you kind of thing to myself. Lisa, it's how amazing. do people find your book and find out more about you? So To the Moon and Back, A Childhood Under the Influence, it is available everywhere. It is available on Amazon. It is on Kindle Unlimited for free. I love when people buy from indie bookstores, indie bookstores, indie bookstores. Mm -hmm. Um, I am Lisa Cohn Wright. So the hardest part is the Cohn, which is K-O-H-N. So it's L-I-S-A-K-O-H-N-W-R-I-T-E-S. That's my writing website, lisacohnwrites.com. That's my Twitter handle, my Instagram handle, my Facebook handle. I'd love anybody to reach out to me. And if you just Google Lisa Cohn with K-O-H-N, I'm still the first three pages that show up. Hey, man, you are, because I did that. I can attest to that. <laughs> so if you Google my brother, I'm still on the first page. It's, you know, I got a lot of media. It's very funny. It's very funny. Lisa, I, we're out of time. I want to thank you so much for being on the Journey of Hope today. What an interesting story. The book is, uh, it sounds really cool. To the Moon and Back, 
a childhood under the influence. I've read a lot of it. You might want to check that one out. It's a good one. Lisa, thank you. Thank you, Rodney. Thanks so much for having me. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. I'm Rodney Mathers, and you're on the Journey of Hope. Love to hear from you. Mathers Rodney at yahoo.com, M-A-T-H-E-R-S-R-O-D-N-E-Y at yahoo.com. Hey there, we've come to the end of another show. I want to thank my special guest today, Lisa Cohn, and remind you that if God is for you, who can be against you? We'll see you next time right here on The Journey of Hope.